As I was preparing to come home, I was thinking there'd be some opportunities to preach. And uh, what would I preach from? What, what, they, what people expect to hear from a returning uh, missionary? Uh, maybe something on John 3.16, the Great Commission, uh, Matthew 28. Maybe something from the Book of Acts, uh, where we see the Gospel going out to the end of the earth. Uh, and as I thought about it, I thought, well, 2 Corinthians 12 would be perfect, actually. Uh, although it doesn't say really anything about mission, our, our mission uh, it does say a lot about mission life and experience. And it does say a lot about Christian life uh, and experience. It's not an easy passage to understand, but I hope as I uh, expand it this morning that um, the lights will come on for you. So let's, uh, let's read God's word. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weakness. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a, me- a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to, to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your life-giving word. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the people who shared it with us. Uh, We thank you for the great privilege that we have as your people uh, to share it with others. Lord, challenge us now as we think about your word together. May your spirit use your word to drill deeply into our hearts, to reveal any sin or idols in our life that we need to deal with, but also so that our our lives will be transformed to be uh, more like Jesus. We pray for the glory of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You know, there are many things in Japan that I don't just, I just don't understand. Things that really confuse me and frustrate me. For example, why do they still use carbon copy paper? I mean, why do so many shops still not have credit card or FPOS? I mean, this is Japan, the technological powerhouse of the world. Now, why is it still okay to smoke in restaurants? Why does the dentist only clean your top set of teeth in one visit and you have to go back for a second visit for him to clean your bottom set of teeth? Why do hospitals only open for certain hours? Why do policemen constantly drive around with the lights flashing when there's no emergency? Why do my children have to have an ECG before the school cross country? And why can't I buy a T-bone steak in Japan? Where do they all go? That's the great mystery. And you know, as I read the Bible and think about the life of Jesus and what he did and what he said, I often have that same sense of frustration. 
and confusion. I mean, have you ever thought what it would be like to, to hang out with Jesus for three years like his disciples did? What do, you, what do you think we'd learn? What do you think we'd come away with? I, I think it'd be this. Jesus saw this world differently. Jesus had an, had an upside down way of, of seeing this world. And when we can view this world through the eyes of Jesus, we take on and we live a completely different worldview. And we learn that knowing, experiencing and living for God happens in a way that's completely different to the way that we naturally think and act. Let me give you a couple of examples. There's lots in the Bible. Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. Matthew chapter 20. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. In the book of Acts, Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And in 2 Corinthians, we're told, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because this isn't the way that we naturally think about life. People hating me, I wouldn't consider a blessing. Slaves aren't first. Giving doesn't come naturally to me. I much prefer to receive. And when I'm weak, I don't feel strong. And as odd as these passages might seem, they've actually been a great encouragement to me and my family as we've ministered in Japan. But before we look at God's word, I want to begin looking at what Paul says there in verse 1. Because understanding what Paul says here helps us understand the context. Uh, Open up your Bibles. It says there in verse 1, I'm reading from the ESV, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And this is the letter to the, to the church in Corinth. And, and what's happening is a false teachers have come to Corinth and they're twisting the gospel. And Paul's really concerned about this. And Paul says, look, don't follow these guys. But these guys, they claim to be super apostles. In fact, they claim to have divine authority. And they were saying, no, no, you should listen to us. Don't listen to Paul. Now, this puts Paul in a, in a really tricky situation. And Paul says, look, you're forcing me to show you why you need to listen to me. Therefore, you're forcing me to boast. I hate it. I think it's stupid. But I've got to do it. And since these super apostles are, are talking about visions and revelations, if I'm going to prove to you that I'm an apostle and that you have to listen to me, well, I've got to talk about that too. I don't want to do it but you're forcing me to do it. He then goes on to talk about these, these visions and these revelations that he's had from God. But, but not in, in direct competition with these guys. He's not saying, look, my revelations are bigger and, and better than yours. But what he's saying is, let me show you the authenticity of my apostleship by showing you that my visions and my revelations, they're different. The experience of these guys and what they're talking about, well, it's different from mine. Theirs isn't in line with the gospel. And that's what we see there in verses 2 to 6. Now, notice that he doesn't really go into any great detail about these revelations and these, and these visions, these experiences. He actually tells us nothing about these experiences there in verses 2 and 3. And you know what's funny about this? 
that these must have been some pretty incredible experiences. Because it, it's not his conversion experiences. Paul had all sorts of experiences. I mean, Jesus Christ appeared to him on the, on the road to Damascus and, and struck him blind. I mean, he had all sorts of visions and revelations in the book of Acts. Uh, whatever this was, it was probably the biggest. It was number one. So what happened to him? Well, we see there in verse 2 that he went up to the third heaven, uh, which means he actually went into the, the presence of God. The, the first heaven's the atmosphere. The second heaven is the stars, the moon and the sun. And the third heaven is the presence of God. And that's it. And that's all he tells us. He just says, look, I was there. He doesn't tell us a thing about it. And he says a similar thing in verse 3. He says, I went to paradise, which again is, a, is another way of saying, I went into the presence of God. And despite all these experiences, you'll see in verses 4 to 6, I mean, just how reluctant Paul is to talk about them. Imagine that Paul has come into the very presence of God. He's had these overwhelming and magnificent experiences, encounters with the living God, and yet he doesn't want to talk about it. And you'll see why there at the end of verse 6, he says there, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. I mean, it's really interesting. He says here that the reason I don't talk about these things is because I don't want, I don't want anyone to think about me more than I deserve by, by what I do and by what I say. You see, when a, when a person starts to talk about experiences of God, how God has revealed himself and how God uh, did this or, or said that, they're automatically claiming uh, authority on the basis of their experience. When, when a person says, God told me that you should go do this or, or do that, I mean, what happens there? Well, you certainly, what you've done is you, you put yourself above someone else and you actually shut down a conversation. Because when you start talking about your experience, what you're essentially saying is, I have authority because of my experience. But Paul says no. Paul says, look, the authority that comes should come because of what I do and what I say according to the gospel. In other words, Paul says, if I've had experiences of God, it should show, it should show my character. I should be a person of transparency. I should be a person of integrity, a person of love, a person of godliness. He says, you should be listening to me because you look at my life and you say, that man's met God because of the truth of what he says and because of who he is. That's where the authority comes from. Not because of what someone has claimed to, to experience. Now, what do you think... What do you think Paul is talking about there in verse 6 when he says that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me? What do you think you would see in Paul? Or what do you think you'd hear from Paul if you met him? What do you reckon? The gospel. You would see a man who lives and breathes the gospel 
And then out of nowhere, Paul goes from the, the ecstasy to the agony. My man is talking about these ecstatic experiences. Next thing, he's talking about the agony and the pain of this thorn. And he tells us why there in verse 7. Uh, have a read. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. If you look at that, that, that passage there in the, in the ESV, You'll notice that it starts and it finishes with that phrase, to keep me from being conceited. You see, when success or any other good thing comes into our heart, maybe even experience of God, our hearts like to take that thing and to use it to make us to feel important or or to justify ourselves. And that's when we become conceited. That's when we become arrogant and, and full of pride. But it's also when we, when we stop trusting Jesus. We, we suddenly start to put our hope and, and our trust in this other thing. Hoping that, that it'll satisfy us, that, that it'll justify us when only Jesus will. And so, you know, Paul does what comes naturally to all of us. He, he asks for those hard things to be, be taken away. Verse 8 there, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. I'll tell you what, Paul's persistent, isn't he? But God doesn't take it away. That ever, ever happened to you? Something horrible come into your life? You, you cry out to God that it would go away, but it just doesn't? But what does come in verse 9 there is a, is a message of comfort from the Lord. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now listen really carefully, because what Paul's teaching us here is a really important principle of life. With any problem, any problem we face in life, there are always two messages attached. There's a message from Satan, you'll see it in verse 7, and there's a message from God. Have a look at verse 9. And what, what discourages us isn't the thorn or the problem. But the message, the message we decide to listen to, our discouragement or our strengthening will depend on the choice of who we decide to listen to. And in verse 9 and 10 there, we see that Paul, he listens to God's message. And his response to the thorn tells us this. Paul accepts that God wants this thorn to stay. And he has a complete change of attitude, doesn't he? Now he's content, it says. Because he's, he's listened to God's message that's attached to the thorn. You see, weakness, weakness is an opportunity to prove the power, the power of God. Read the end of verse 9 there. Therefore I will boast, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul's saying, if it wasn't for that sense of weakness that came into my life, I wouldn't have any power. You see, it's weakness. It's weakness that leads us to cry out to God. It's weakness that shows us that the only reason why God loves us isn't because of our righteousness, because of Jesus' righteousness. And that's the only thing that sets us free. You know, deep down, we really don't like to think of ourselves as poor and weak. I mean, how, how often do we cry out to God, I have nothing. 
But that's what grace is all about. Grace means we have nothing. We're sinners and unless Jesus had died for us and rose from the dead for us, we'd be condemned forever. Grace means that if God had not given us, not given us his spirit, we'd never believe. Grace means we bring nothing to God and he makes us into something and he gives us everything. That's grace. Now, there's another really important principle for the Christian life here that Paul's teaching us, and it's this. In the Christian life, strength and weakness, they always go together. They're never apart. And God does this because if he didn't, we become arrogant. You see, unless God put this, put something into Paul's life to show him how, how weak he was and to make him feel his weakness, Paul says, Paul says, I become all superior. I become all arrogant. Strength and, and weakness, they're, they're never apart in the Christian life. It's, it's like walking. It's, it's like your, your, light, your left foot and your right foot. I mean, when you walk, your, your, right, head, your right foot is, is ahead of your left foot but it can't go too far ahead, can it? I mean, it just can't. You fall over. That's walking. And that's the Christian life. That's the Christian growth. Strength and weakness. Strength and weakness. Now, I remember one week in Japan really well. We received an email from the team in Nagoya uh, who were experiencing significant spiritual opposition. That same week, the seminary was broken into and had about $15,000 stolen, which is very unusual in Japan. One of the pastors, the Japanese pastors, was diagnosed with cancer. The, the team in Taiosu had just started weekly worship and the lead pastor's son, he fell at the mission school and he broke his spine. To top it off, I cut my finger. It hurt. And I got five stitches. When I found a hospital that was open... And as, as this news was coming in, I felt overwhelmed. I felt weak. I felt hopeless, helpless. And I started crying out to the Lord, why is this happening? Lord, I need you. Now, I don't know the end result of all those situations. I, I do know that Toa is still in the hospital. Please pray for him. But this I do know. We always like to say, Jesus, Jesus is all I need. But you won't know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You know, I don't know about you, but I hate, I hate being weak. I want to be right, I want to be in control, I want to be strong. I don't want to be the last one that's picked for the team, you know. I don't want to be the one who can't put that piece of Ikea furniture together. I don't want to be confused and not ready. I don't want to feel unqualified for the job at hand. I don't want to be stopping others from getting things done or holding others back. I don't like it when it seems that there are things I don't know, but, but I should know. I don't want to stare failure in the face. I don't want to let myself down. I don't want to let others down. I don't find weakness very comfortable. Now in Japan, admitting weakness and failure is really hard for the Japanese. In, a, in an honour and shame culture where weakness is looked down upon, where the constant expectation is perfection and to keep going no matter what, it just crushes people to the point where they either commit suicide or they withdraw from society and resign themselves to a life of depression and isolation. 
Very few people get a second chance in Japan. But day after day in Japan, God has been teaching me how weak I am, how much I need him. And I suppose what I'm saying is I don't, I don't want to face up to who I am. And I reckon we're all probably like this. We all dream of being independent and strong and capable and wise. But let's face it, we're all weak. You see, weakness isn't our great danger. Our great danger is our delusion of strength. If we think we're strong, we won't seek the help we desperately need. When I, when I think I'm strong, I turn away from the gospel of God's grace. I've got it all together. I don't need God. But this is, this is why Paul boasts in his weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The gospel of God's grace exposes how weak we are so we can see how deep our need for Jesus is. The hopelessness of weakness is the only door to where real strength is found and that's in Jesus. Don't fear weakness, it's a good thing. God supplies all the strength we need. Be afraid when we think we're independently strong because that's when we stop looking to Jesus. You know, we often link weakness with failure but God says my weakness, God says in weakness my power is displayed This is the paradox of the Christian life and Christian ministry. A wonderful, glorious message through ordinary, plain, weak messengers. But you see, if if it was any other way, if it it would just confuse the message. If our our abilities were amazing, then people might look to us instead of looking to God. If people found us impressive, they they think Christianity might might be about being successful. But if I'm weak, if I'm weak, the the focus is where it belongs, on the power of God. You know, Jesus calls us to live and think in a way that is completely different, completely different to the world around us. Think about it. We feel supreme love for someone we've never seen. We empty ourselves in order to be full. We... Admit we're wrong so we can be declared right. We serve to be first. We believe the wisdom of this world is foolishness. We are riches when we are poor. When we are humble, we're exalted. The way up is down. We become slaves to be free. We die so we can live. Forsake everything so we can have. Give away so we can keep. We are called to love those who hate us. Walk by faith, not by sight. And we know that which surpasses all knowledge. And when we are strongest, we are weak. You see, you can't escape or deny the reality of the paradoxes of the Christian life. But you see, here's why. Here's why. This is how Jesus lived. Jesus wins through losing. He gives us life through death. He triumphs through defeat. In humiliation, he's exalted. He comes to wealth by giving away. In becoming a slave, he becomes free and achieves power through weakness on a cross. And when you realise that, it'll make sense. 
Guys, we're being called to be like Jesus. God wants to shape us to be like his son. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus, to live an upside-down life. And this is the life Jesus lived. This is the life we are called to live. This is the gospel-centred life. And we realise that. It all makes sense. You know, when I went to Japan, I thought it was all about God using me to save the Japanese. But I've actually come to learn that God is in the business of changing me as much as anybody else in Japan. Power through weakness. It's been a hard lesson to learn. But it's God's way of reminding us of who we are, what we need and what we've been given. That's why we can sing. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Father, we need you. Lord, we are weak, but you are strong. Might your power be made perfect in weakness so that many come to know you and so they'll put all their hope and trust in you and not ourselves or anyone else. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.